welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read from Jeremiah chapter 14. The word of Yahweh that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns. They find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn, because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Yahweh, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against you. O you hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Yahweh, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Thus says Yahweh concerning this people, They have loved to wander thus, they have not restrained their feet. Therefore Yahweh does not accept them now, he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Yahweh said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry, and though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Then I said, Ah, Lord Yahweh, Behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And Yahweh said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore thus says Yahweh concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, Sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. For I will pour out their evil upon them. You shall say to them this word, Let my eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a very grievous blow. If I go out into the field, behold, those pierced by the sword. And if I enter the city, behold, the diseases of famine. For both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good came for a time of healing, but behold, terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Yahweh, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember, and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Yahweh our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. This is the word of the Lord. There's a, a back and forth going on in today's chapter, really, as you've got a mixture of God speaking, 
versus Jeremiah speaking. And even what Jeremiah speaks are the words still that the Lord has given him to speak. So, verse 2 through 6 really doesn't make a difference who speaks those. But starting in verse 7, it is the, the language is language that Jeremiah is speaking to God as though on behalf of the people. So 7 through 9 is that way. Jeremiah offering up a prayer on behalf of the people. And then verse 10 goes the other way. So 10 through 12 is God speaking to Jeremiah, to the people. Jeremiah responds in verse 13 through, well, that doesn't last long, through 14. Just 13, actually. 14 is God speaking again, and God is going to speak to him all the way then through verse 18. Verses 19 through 22 are just like 7 through 9 in the sense that Jeremiah once again is praying on behalf of the people, lifting up a prayer to God, seeking to intercede for them. It's not actually the words of the people. That's the point that I do want to drive home with this. Verse 19 through 22, great prayer of repentance. But the people themselves are not the one praying it. That's going to be part of the issue. The prayer is coming from Jeremiah. A priest cannot pray on your behalf and it be beneficial in that way. Not here. Not to this extent. Jesus is our great high priest who prays on our behalf to God, and the Lord indeed does hear him. But as a pastor, I can pray for you, yes, but my prayers are no closer to God than your prayers. As the church, as Christians, we pray for one another, and this is good. It's a way we we are bringing our petitions to the Lord, and we are encouraging one another together. But I don't have some kind of special power. The Lord does not hear me more than he hears you. That's something worth knowing. So the people, they needed to actually repent, not just have a prophet of God, a man close to God, speak to God on their behalf. It's not heard. Well, in fairness, it is heard. God hears Jeremiah, but it's meaningless. It's empty. All right, so what, what do we have in the text? Well, we first see it in verse 1, the idea of a drought. The Hebrew is actually plural, droughts. I do think this is a good conversation point for families to have. Does weather just happen? So we had a thunderstorm the other day. There's rain coming tomorrow, whatever it may be. Do these things just happen? And the answer to that is no. Evolutionary theory is commonplace in our culture at this point, has been for a while, which teaches that we are all just accidents, that there's no no real purpose for which you and I are here, and in the same way, all of creation would work that way too under evolutionary theory. So there's no, there's no real meaning behind weather. It just happens. A storm comes up, and it just is, and it disappears. A tornado just comes, and then it's gone. This is not true. This is not the way it is. The Lord is in control. Now, we cannot speak too much into that. That's the caution to have with this. Even though the Lord is in control, he has the storehouses of winds up in the heaven, as we saw earlier in this book. 
He is the one who brings forth rain upon the earth. He is the one who can either bring a storm or calm a storm. All these things happen because the Lord brings them. Or at the very least, because the Lord permits them as creation is, is groaning. So you think of a disaster like a tsunami. It could be that the Lord brings it in judgment. It could be that the destruction of the earth that we have wrought upon it in our sin simply made that thing happen and the Lord permitted it to occur. One or the other. Sometimes the Lord brings weather to provide. Sometimes he brings weather for other reasons. And and to read into these things would be dangerous. Let God be God. And we... We just endure whatever day gives us, and we thank the Lord for whatever he gave us. If we suffer, we thank God for the gift of suffering because it helps us persevere. It helps us learn endurance, Romans 5. It's a gift, as First Peter de- describes it several times. It points us to Christ. Or if we are given a good day with good weather, we thank the Lord for that, that we got to enjoy his creation this day. So it's a Useful conversation in the sense that these are just things that we should know about our Creator in terms of His ability to work, His ability to be in control of all things. Nothing here happens. I don't want to say nothing. Weather is not an accident. I'll just phrase it that way. So Judah mourns, her people lament. And it's the picture of no water to drink. And so the nobles send their servants to find water, but there isn't any. They come back empty-handed. They, they cover their heads. That could be a sign of their shame, or it could be the sign of them trying to protect themselves as the nobles get ready to beat them for coming back empty-handed. I'm going to take it as the first one, the idea of shame, because the farmers are going to do the same thing. As the farmers have no rain, their crops aren't growing. I guess it could be the opposite one there, too, that the, the local people get upset that the farmers have no food for them and attack the farmers. Chapter 13, that the Lord would fill them with drunkenness against one another. That kind of thing would certainly be fitting. But even the animals, even the doe has to abandon her fawn because she can't care for it. There's no food. The donkeys are exhausted, dehydrated on the hill, panting for air, and they, they fail. Their eyes fail, they go, they die because there's nothing to eat. So God's judgment here is is total, as we've seen in the previous chapters. Seven through nine, again, is going to be Jeremiah praying for God's mercy. And this gets repeated, 19 through 22. They're not the same, but the same purpose. In both of them, actually, we'll see him pleading that the Lord would act for his own name's sake. Don't do it for Jeremiah. Don't do it even for the people. Do it for you. Do it for, for God. We do have language like this in our church service today. Again, the absolution. Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. You haven't earned forgiveness. I haven't earned forgiveness, but rather it's a gift that the Lord gives to us and he does it to glorify his name so that others will see and behold and know that he is God. and They'll know the beauty of his gifts because they see that in you. That's the point Jeremiah is making. It's a common point of intercession in the Old Testament. Moses makes this point after the golden calf incident in in Exodus chapter 32. And so Jeremiah's point is, for your own sake, spare this people so that others can see your mercy. 
O you hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a mighty warrior who cannot save? God can save, and he will save in Jesus Christ, but his judgment also comes. Our sin deserves that judgment, and that's what's going to fall upon Judah because they do not repent. But he does still send Jesus. That Messiah, that promise is going to be preserved, even through this exile, that there will be some who are left, some who remain, and that through them there will be a child, a son, born, a Messiah, to save this world. 19 through 22 take on the same task. Again, it's a great prayer of repentance. It's just not from the people. So have you utterly rejected Judah? Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. We've talked about no healing for them, that God is striking them down. So verse 20, we acknowledge our wickedness, O Yahweh, the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against you. Well, that's a pretty good line, except it's Jeremiah speaking not the people. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. See, that that same reference for your name's sake shows up again. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Calling him back to Genesis 15, Exodus 19, uh, the various covenants that God makes in the Old Testament with his people, that he is going to be their God, they're going to be his people, he's going to provide for them, he's going to give them the promised land, he's going to give them a savior from sin, death, and the devil. Verse 22, are there any among the false gods that can bring rain? The answer to that is no. And then actually this next question gets at our opening. Can the heavens give showers? And the answer to that is no. That on their own, the heavens cannot produce showers. And heavens here, the Hebrew word for heaven has multiple meanings from the way we would look at it. The first level of heaven is what we call the sky. The second level is what we call space. And the third level of heaven is what we call heaven, or the place where God would dwell. And so, can the sky above us even give rain? No. Are you not he, O Yahweh, our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. Jeremiah here is in the right. He is seeking the Lord. He is putting his trust in the Lord. But again, it's just him. Now, this is a good opportunity as a family together to confess your sins uh, to the Lord, to take that time today, tonight, whatever it may be, and to ask his forgiveness. And then to look to those final words of the chapter, we set our hope on you for you do all these things. Now, having covered both of those, I do want to double back God says in verse 10 that they they have loved to wander thus, not restrain their feet. That's a reference to the, the feet carrying them somewhere and particularly to the pagan worship sites where they have committed adultery against God. And so God is going to remember their iniquity and he's going to punish their sins. I want to invite you to contrast that verse with chapter 31, verse 34. I'm just going to invite you to look it up. And read it. And note the contrast. There is a, there's a restoration coming. Judgment's going to come. It's going to strike Judah. It's a part of this whole process that the, that the Lord is working through to bring about ultimately repentance in the people. Restoration will come. But that day, it's a little far off for these people yet. So verse 11 
for the third time in the book and the last time, I think, uh, Yahweh tells Jeremiah not to pray for this people. Chapter 7, verse 16, chapter 11, verse 14, that he's not going to accept them. He is going to bring about their destruction. Jeremiah mentions that the false prophets are are saying false things. They're telling the people that they're not going to die by the sword. They're not going to die by famine. And they're going to have peace in the land. And so God, in verse 14, calls them lying prophets. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. So they're false. They're just making up whatever they want to say. It's worthless. Even worse than wor- worthless, it's actually misleading. Worthless would be zero, like neg- just just empty. But they're worse than that because the people hear it, and they're not, they're not just neutral. They're pushed further away from God, thinking that they're okay. So God says those prophets will die by the words of their own prophecy. So they've been prophesying about swords and famines, so they're going to die by swords and famines. They said they won't come, so they will come, and they'll come immediately. Well, they'll come first upon the prophets themselves. And not only the prophets will be destroyed by these things, but indeed all the people cast out into the streets, victim of famine, sword, none to bury them, because everyone's gone. Everyone's destroyed. So the Lord mourns here. Uh, he speaks another word, verse 17 and 18, that his weeping on behalf of this people that Jeremiah is to share with them. If he goes in the field, nothing but the dead. If he goes into the city, nothing but the dead. Because his judgment is, again, it's coming upon them. For both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. We've seen him accuse both prophet and priest before. The point of this phrase, as a pastor myself today, it's not a trade to ply. Right? It's not a, a, a craft to, to practice and to get good at, to make money off of. The prophet is the prophet of the Lord because God has called him to speak his word to the people. The priest is a priest because he's of the tribe of Levi and he's to represent and support and care for the people. These things are not about making money. And nor should the pastoral office today be about making money. Now, there are texts about how we as a church should care for the pastors. And this is good, and that's a different conversation. The point on the other side of what this is getting at is, pastors, don't be seeking money. You're not in the ministry for money. You're here because the Lord has given you that divine call to serve and to love his people. So the reminder of the whole passage then, I think really, even though it's not a true statement because Jeremiah is speaking it not on behalf of the people, there's a lot of truth in the statement. Verse 22 is a great statement of faith. We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. And you can talk as a family about what things the Lord has done for you. Revelation 4 and 5 specifically would focus on creation in 4 and salvation in 5, like the the two great things God has done. And so you can focus there, or you can fill in the in-between, right? As God has created you, and now he cares for you each and every day, bringing you to his salvation in the near future. In Jesus' name, amen.